Good evening. Welcome back to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and it is a another evening edition. Uh, we are still in the NBA playoffs, and the Celtics are really not doing well, but the game was on this morning, and I wanted to listen to it as I drove to work, so I listened to the first quarter as I drove. Uh, they ended up winning the game, finally. Finally got one game in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat. Uh, I don't remember if I talked about it last week, but anyway, the Celtics, who are the number two seed in the East and the highest seed remaining, have been the highest seed remaining since the first round, uh, are playing the Heat, who barely made it in, had to play two play-in games just to make it to the playoffs. Uh, and they are tearing it up. The Heat have been really, uh, in many ways, the strongest or maybe the second strongest team in the playoffs. I guess you could say that the uh, uh, Denver Nuggets have been stronger. They're waiting for the winner of the uh, series. They swept the Lakers, got them in four straight games. So the Nuggets are waiting for the winner of the uh, Boston-Miami playoff round and right now Boston's down one game to three but they played a great game they finally kind of found a rhythm for the first time in four games and they were able to really win decisively they they really didn't let take their foot off the gas in the second half and and uh, had a good decisive win for sure so if they can play like this as they go back to Boston we might see at least the series get to seven games and man or six games and hopefully seven so game five is coming up on Friday which I will be watching anyway so I did not record a podcast on the way and besides the mornings have been tough I have a, I've had a bad cold uh, the last several mornings and, and my voice just was not uh, what it should be in the morning it takes a while for me to kind of get the shake the cobwebs off my thro my throat is sore even now, but you know as far as um, voice, I still have some voice, although it's I'm sure diminished. Uh, would love to get over this cold just as soon as I can. It's taken a lot longer than I would like, that's for sure. But anywho, be that as it may, uh, things that have been going on this week, well, not a whole lot. Um, had some good conversations with a couple friends on Monday night. We, uh, I, I talked to you about a friend who was visiting here from uh, my alma mater. Um, he headed back yesterday. But before he headed back, today's Wednesday, by the way. Wednesday, by the way. Before he headed back, um, we were able to, to go to an onsen on Monday. And Pat, who has been on this podcast before, joined us. And... Uh, yeah, I, I learned a lot and gained a lot of respect um, for him during the times, uh, the time that I was able to spend with him and talk to him about stuff. And I'm really excited about the direction that at least he's going. And that gives me hope for their tradition, the tradition in which I grew up in, uh, that, that there are some, uh, there's a remnant you know, a remnant of people that are really doing their best to follow Christ and and uh, are are 
operating in a world in, in a way that their eyes are wide open to the to the world, um, wide open to people of all kinds of um, uh, you know shapes, sizes, and colors. Uh, and and I think that's great. I think that's that's what the church was always supposed to be. I'm sure you know they still have some challenges like other churches, but at least they're not excluding uh, people from their fellowship. And I think that's wonderful. Um, and of course, by, you know, shapes, colors, and sizes, I mean, well, I do mean colors, uh, but, you know, different, different shades of human, I guess is the best way to say that, uh, as well as all genders and uh, all sexual preferences and uh, all that stuff, they are all inclusive as far as I can tell, and they follow Christ. Uh, and I think that's, um, that's a good model for churches to, to strive for. Uh, I know it's difficult. I know there's a lot of stuff. Uh, believe me, I've, I've had to go through that stuff as much as anybody. Um, just like Paul talked about, he was a Jew of Jews. Uh, in a lot of ways, I, I was an evangelical of evangelicals from uh, many generations, having come from this denomination on, on both sides of my family. Uh, came, you know, from multi generational Church Christ people. That's who I was brought up by. I have, I have uh, preachers and missionaries and elders and deacons in my uh, heritage, in my family tree. Uh, people who have written books and, and you know, really just, just all kinds uh, have been in, in my family from this denomination. We are, we are one of the uh, long-standing families in the, de in the denomination. Now, I'm not sure exactly how far back we go, but it's pretty far. And it's good to know that not all of the wings of this denomination are fundamentalist or um, evangelical. Um, they are trying to just be Christian, uh, trying to be like Christ is a better way to put that maybe. As Christian has a lot of uh, plethora of connotations. Um, yeah, so... I'm encouraged by that. Uh, very much so. So we were able to get together and, and have a good time and um, talk about things and how things were concerned about. And most of them had to do with um, uh, the university from which he comes and where I graduated. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I have such a small window, uh, even though I've been a member of that denomination my entire life, and generations of McLeans have come from that denomination. I still only have my narrow perspective uh, of that um, group of believers, and and I'm glad to know that my perspective is not the correct perspective, that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, cover all other people. Uh, there's 
show are plenty of people who are um, more inclusive, more open. And I think that's a really big deal for the church to be. I don't think it's any small thing. In fact, I would, I would say if you were excluding people from your fellowship, um, you might not be the church at all. <coughs> you might not know Jesus at all. So anyway, yeah, he got patched on that one. Uh, other than that, man, I can't think of much that's going on uh, that I can talk about. I really decided to uh, record this just because that's what we usually do. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. There were some things that I read this morning in Facebook that I thought about. Uh, talking about, um, but as of right now, I can't really remember what it was. <laughs> so I'm going to read through something here on Facebook, uh, just find something that will be uh, a place that we can start from. much junk on Facebook these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry for the delay. I really just couldn't think what it is. Okay, here's one. Jeff Pops Robinson. He's, he's always a good guy to get a good meme from. So we'll use this meme to start. Jesus wasn't neutral. He sided with the poor, the sick, and the immigrants be like Jesus. All right, yeah, that's that's a really good that's a really good point actually, uh, and kind of what I was talking about um, about the inclusiveness of Jesus, right? Now there are some some scriptures here and there that tend to tend to lean towards. And it's usually Paul who's saying it lean toward the idea that if somebody in the fellowship is doing wrong and they refuse to change, then stop fellowshipping with them. Whatever fellowship means. And I assume it means stop allowing them to come to your meetings or stop meeting with them. But generally, fellowship in this day and age is not what you do in church but usually after church after the time of quote-unquote worship is done right uh, let's say you meet at, at 10 30 and you go to 11 30 then after after 11 30 is when you actually fellowship so fellowship is generally spending time together right that's what you know friends hang out but but people in are members of the same church don't hang out they fellowship it's one of those christianese words right uh and 
yeah, there are, there are places in Scripture that uh, seem to say that if somebody won't stop doing something wrong, uh, you know, a.k.a. the way I interpret it, hurt, you know, they're hurting somebody uh, in the church or somebody who they shouldn't be hurting or whatever. Of course, nobody, they shouldn't be hurting anybody. But anyway, in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, if they won't stop, then, you know, remove them from your fellowship or stop fellowshipping with them or stop spending time with them or stop gathering with them, whatever the case may be. There do seem to be instances of this in the New Testament, right? Now, not having um, studied the background and not being a, an expert in the original languages, I can't say for sure uh, that that's what they're saying, uh, but but you know that's generally what how it's been interpreted. Uh, and I guess I should come up with an example of what this might look like. There was an example of a man who apparently was sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, there was a man who was a member of a church, and he was having sex sexual re relations with his father's wife. Now, whether his father was still alive or not, it doesn't say. Uh, whether his uh, mother was his actual mother or a stepmother of some kind, it doesn't say. But it does indicate that this was an improper, inappropriate relationship. And Paul suggested that they find a way to stop it, right? To get it from, to stop happening. So, it, it's really difficult not knowing all of the details, right? We, we can only assume uh, what the details are. But, at any rate, it was a socially unacceptable practice, right? Whether to Christians, whether to people in the Roman world, whether to local Greeks, or I, I forget which church this was, I think it was, may have been Corinth, uh, which is a yeah, uh, city in, in ancient Greece. But be that as it may, um, Paul thought it was inappropriate. Paul found it ex unacceptable. And the fact that he knew about it probably meant that somebody else found it unacceptable as well. And so for this kind of thing, there, there is a, there is a, a method that's lined out of ways to confront people about their quote-unquote sinful behavior. And so the way it's approached, though, is not if someone's done something that you don't agree with, but somebody, somebody has done something wrong to you. Right? If you have something against your brother, right, they have wronged you in some way, then you are to go to them one-on-one -on -one and talk to them about it and try to get them to, to repent. And what repent in this situation means is to stop doing whatever they're doing and, and walk in a better direction, change direction. not knowing uh, specifics, 
not having been given an example of that in the New Testament, we just have to take it at face value. So I suppose if somebody borrowed money from me and then they didn't repay it, that could be an instance. Or uh, somebody has been gossiping or, or lying about me to other people, something like that. Or, or possibly somebody has stolen something from me. Uh, or uh, it could be any number of things. The way to um, reconcile with your brother is to go with him one-on-one. And in that way, try to win them over to doing good, to doing better, to changing whatever they've been doing. And then if that doesn't work, you're to go back, uh, right? If the person refuses to repent, you go back with two or three witnesses. And hopefully, in the midst of two or three witnesses, they will repent and do better and things will be okay. And if that doesn't work, you take them in front of the entire congregation. So entire congregation finds out about this and tries to convince this person to change. So everything everything is is not on punishing, but in trying to get somebody to walk a better path, to, to change from the uh, harmful way they've been going, whether harmful to others or to themselves, and to walk in a better direction. It's kind of the way that repentance works in the New Testament. And then, and only then, after those three steps, are you supposed to result, uh, resort to, not result, resort to um, breaking fellowship with that person. But there are many steps to, to, to go, get to before then, right? So, there, of course, there are instances where fellowship may have been broken in the history of the church. Where somebody just kicked out, but very rarely. I, I can't think of any instances except this one in Corinthians, and I'm not even sure he was ever disfellowshipped, as we say, or kicked out from the group. Uh, because maybe he did repent. I don't know. Uh, we don't have any history of that. Uh, I don't know of any instances. And again, I'm not a scholar, so take that at face value. Where somebody was kicked out because they were wrong. Usually, somebody is disfellowshipped for a different reason. Uh, maybe they're not allowed to join a group because of the wrong color or the wrong race. They speak the, the wrong language. Uh, or they have a uh, something that is a wrong sexual orientation that is not uh, deemed appropriate by one group or another. Or uh, they uh, don't believe politically the same way. Uh, or... They don't believe theologically the same way. They have a different, different theological uh, conclusions or leanings. And for these reasons, people do break fellowship. More often than not, those people will leave a group, leave the group uh, in which they don't feel welcome. That is something that happens. Uh, they'll leave leave a place where they don't feel welcome. That's a much more common thing. It's, it's much less common for people to actually be kicked out, although it does happen. There, there are people, uh, I, I've heard of people who are just simply troublemakers. They're, they're constantly causing trouble, constantly stirring up people, uh, causing arguments, 
and it's just their personality uh, or their broken personality if you will uh, wherever they are they just stir up trouble uh, and these these kinds of people uh, are often um, uh, asked to leave asked to go somewhere else and then there are people like that who, who basically live and terrorize congregations for years and years and they're never asked to leave they are troublemakers who are tolerated and probably over tolerated but that's not who you know this meme that I read a few minutes ago what this is talking about is that uh, Jesus welcomed he, he wasn't neutral in that he, he didn't take sides he took sides and he took sides uh, with those who needed him the most, uh, it, this one talked about the you know the immigrants uh, and the poor. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase because I, I can't remember the exact three things that it said, uh, but basically, the weakest of a society is who Jesus sided with. So he wasn't neutral. Uh, now, in some ways, he also wasn't an extremist, right? Like. He wasn't uh, affiliated, as far as we know, with either the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And even if he was a Pharisee, which is a possibility that he was a Pharisee, uh, he was also critical of the Pharisees. He wasn't uh, a tote-the-party-line guy. He was a, well, they believe that their belief system is closer to the truth, and so that's who I affiliate with. But they still have a lot wrong seems to have been Jesus's um, point of view and so in that case even though he wasn't neutral completely he was neutral in the sense that he didn't join the extremist groups right he he was he just always uh, strived for truth for goodness for mercy that's where he fell and if you don't want to call that neutral that's fine I guess um, but he would have been independent at least uh, independent from the parties that existed in the time in which he lived no he's not neutral not neutral in the way Switzerland is neutral um, unless Switzerland was being neutral between say Nazi Germany and, and fascist Italy, maybe that's possible. He would, he would have been neutral there. Uh, didn't want to side with those guys. Um, so he's not neutral in that sense, but he is certainly on the side of the most oppressed and least accepted people of society. And that's always the case, and that always will be the case. Um, that's where, that's where he will side with. And he will side with people who side with those people. So even if you're not one of those people, as long as you are siding with those people, then Jesus is on your side as well. Right? Um, so if you want to be on the side of Jesus, you need to be on the side of the immigrant uh, and the outcast uh, and the poor. minority, right? 
depressed. That's where that's the side you have to be on. That's a pretty big lesson because right now, evangelical Christianity is mainstream in America, uh, and it's largely a, a white Christian movement, though not completely. Uh, certainly, the majority of, of Christians in America, uh, the majority of evangelical Christians in America, are white, and they're middle class or wealthy, most likely. Although I'm sure there are a lot of poor evangelicals as well. But there's a lot of power, political and economic power, in the evangelical movement, for sure. Uh, and so what that means is, is you know, you're going to have to work extra hard if you are an evangelical to be on the side of Christ. It's not going to come natural to you. Um, and the last, really the last 20 or 30 years have borne that out. I think that's, I think that's fair enough to say for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, just to be an evangelical Christian is, is not enough to, to follow Jesus. You're going to have to take some extra steps, and you're going to have to deviate from a lot of mainstream, mainstream evangelic, evangelicalism in order to follow Christ. Uh, but I think that's always been the case. I, I think any big religious movement uh, has always mostly not been Christ-like. I think, I think the, the truth is almost always going to be that that few will find the narrow path, right? And many will be on the wide path of destruction, whatever that means to you. And I don't, I, I don't think that has anything to do with the afterlife. I think that has everything to do with the life you're living now, right? The, the straight and narrow path uh, is difficult to stay on. It's, it's hard to balance. It's, it's um, narrow, after all. Uh, and yet... It's, it's the correct path to be on. But it's not the straight and narrow path that most people think it is. Most people think that means, you know, to, to follow the Bible like a rule book and to be a good evangelical and follow evangelical theology and ecclesiology and soteriology. And that's what keeps you on the narrow path. But the truth is, the narrow path uh, is the path of the champion of the oppressed, the champion of the immigrant, the champ champion of the outcast, the champion of the poor, the sick, the hungry, the naked, the imprisoned. That is the path to be on. If you are championing those people, then championing, champion, championing, that's really hard to say, championing those people, if you are fighting for those people, then you are on the narrow path, I think, uh, and, but most people are not, and I think that holds true in, in any dem demographic uh, of society, most people uh, are still living for themselves, are still protecting themselves, are still tribal, uh, 
uh, are still defending their way of life uh, and are suspicious of others. Uh, I think that's unfortunately probably still true. So I'm going to wrap it up right there. We'll see if this podcast makes it. I'm not sure. No promises. But uh, yeah, talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.